Before the message this morning, we'll be reading two passages of scripture. Would you stand with me, please, as we read? We'll begin from Romans 13. For seven verses. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And now we'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You may be seated. As we begin this morning, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Father, it's uh, to you that we pray this morning. You spoke and all things came into being. Your voice brought forth these heavens and earth and all that is contained within them. You are the mighty God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And it's a great blessing, not only in this moment, but each time we have opportunity to meet with you in prayer. Move us, Lord, to consider our responsibilities in this upcoming November election. Pray, Father, that you would encourage each of us to steward our voting responsibilities before you. But, Lord, even greater than voting for a particular candidate in these days ahead, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to humbly submit to you. Work in us that we might desire relationship with you, that we might seek you humbly with the whole heart, 
with an ear inclined to hear you. And as we look to steward well a vote in the upcoming election, may we also be drawn to something much greater and more profitable for our souls. May it be, Lord, that this people whom you have called to yourself would know what it is to have a relationship with you. May this people live differently being in Christ. Cause us to rethink the vital role of prayer in our walk with you. Help us to see that prayer is what allows us to walk worthy of the calling we've received in Christ. It's foundational to our walk. It's the lifeline for our walk. And without it, Lord, there's truly no walk at all. Lord, I pray this day for your word to impact our souls. And I pray for this house of yours at Hope in Christ to be known as a house of prayer above all things. In the name of the Son who has spoken in these last days, I pray these things. Amen. Well, when I've had opportunity to lead a captain's meeting before a ball game that I'm refing, oftentimes before the game we get captains from each team and one of the three officials is designated to speak to the captains before the game. We like to remind players about the opportunities that are before them that night. After brief introductions, having them shake each other's hand, I place before them oftentimes the idea that someone, head coach or fellow teammates, someone thinks you're a captain. I put that right before them. I want them to know that I don't take that lightly. I also want them to hear about the great responsibilities involved in this game of what it means to be a captain on the court tonight. And as I'm speaking with these young men, I define what it means to be a captain. And I say, a captain is a leader. And then I like to issue the call to these captains. Lead well tonight. Set an example. Take care of your teammates. See that they are acting in accordance with high sportsmanship and character. Be a leader of integrity and character yourself. Others are watching. I'm calling them as captains of their respective teams to lead well. Friends, I believe the Lord would have each one here listen attentively to what he has to say as well. Imagine that he has us all huddled together and he's looking directly into our eyes. And defining for us what it is to be a child of his. The expectations, the responsibilities involved, the road of suffering and trials that line the way. And somewhere in that talk, he issues those penetrating words. Walk worthy of the calling that you've received from me. Walk worthy of the calling. See, when God calls you to himself, he does so only and always through his son, Jesus. No one, the Bible says, can come to the Father except by way of his son. John 14, 6 tells us that. So if that's the path 
by which we have fellowship with God through his son. Then what characterizes this walk? If I am to walk worthy of God's calling on my life, what then does that entail? Having been called to walk and live out these days in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus, what might that look like? And more specifically, what might serve as the foundational piece for walking out such a life worthy of his calling? I believe, friends, that if we're ever to walk worthy of the calling that we've received from our great God and King, it must begin and be grounded upon a consistent, persistent desire for communing with our Heavenly Father by means of prayer. Prayer. To walk worthy of the Lord requires ongoing conversation between you and the Lord. It requires a desire to speak with Him. And a desire to hear from Him. And perhaps some of you are here today and that desire is not there. My encouragement to you would then be praying for that desire. A walk worthy of the Lord requires a humble heart that longs to receive directions from His Word. It requires a willing and obedient spirit to move when and where and how He calls. If you were expecting this morning a message that outlined all the candidates' positions on the smorgasbord of issues out there, you might be disappointed today. You're not going to hear particular names advocated, per se, as the one you should vote for. The focus instead is on what I believe God would have us think about as it pertains to the upcoming elections in our country. And I want us to look at how God can transform these United States of America. It's not going to happen by selecting just the right candidate. But it can happen as God's people lay the groundwork of prayer together, walking as he's intended us to walk, with an ear to hear from him, inclined to know his heart, and receive instruction from his holy word. Now this morning I'm not expositing any one particular text, but we'll be referencing several texts as we go. Several passages that reference and tell us what God thinks about his government officials. And how then his people ought to walk in light of this institution that he's created. Let's remember that. I believe we need a reminder of that this morning. I'm afraid we've forgotten that God created this institution known as civil government. Since he created it. Since he set it in place, I think it would be wise of us, it would be very prudent to hear what he has to say about it and our role and responsibility in it. And I'd like to jumpstart this by putting forth some words of Jeremiah the prophet. 
Jeremiah was a prophet who served the Lord in his day at a time when the judgment of God was about to rain down upon the people of Judah. And as I was reading Jeremiah here of late, some of these words seem to hit eerily close to home as we take inventory of the current state of affairs in the United States. If you have your Bible, feel free to open up these, these verses. There's going to be little snippets. And I'm going to start in Jeremiah chapter 2. Just going to go a couple chapters. I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapters. But there are some words here that I think are very good for us to hear this morning as context. Jeremiah 2, 11 and 13 says, Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people, the Lord's talking, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Is that still true today? I believe it is. They've forsaken the Lord and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 3.25 says, We lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. Friends, I believe that's where we're at even this day in our country. We have sinned against the Lord our God. He goes on and says, We and our fathers from our youth even to this day and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Jeremiah 4 verse 14 O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness, that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Speaks to matters of the heart. Jeremiah 4.18, your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. In other words, the judgment that's, that's coming, it says, your ways and your doings have brought this about. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because, listen, because it reaches to your heart. Jeremiah 4.22, the Lord again speaking, for my people are foolish. Listen to how he describes the people, his people. My people are foolish. They have not known me. That phrase has in mind, again, we go into the New Testament, we see that word. No, it still has in mind this idea of relationship. They've not known me. They are silly children. Not silly as in funny. He goes on and says they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Jeremiah 5.22, the question is asked by the Lord about fearing Him, fearing the Lord. 5.22, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Jeremiah 5.23, this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They've revolted and departed. The last part of 525, he says, your sins have withheld good from you. Listen, what's kept good from you? Your sins. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. 
And my people, listen, and my people love to have it so. That's the state of the affairs in Jeremiah's day. And the passages that I'm pulling out to you this morning, I believe in many ways, speak to our current state. This is written a long time ago, but how applicable it is today. Jeremiah 6, the last part of verse 10, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Friends, you know what? We live today in a land filled with people. And I'm not talking about pagans. I'm talking about church people. People who attend regularly. People who know of God. Who have no delight in this word. Jeremiah 6.13 From the least of them even to the greatest of them everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest everyone deals falsely. Jeremiah 7, 24, they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went, listen, they went backward, not forward. They went backward, not forward. One of the verses that seems to address the bottom line of the people of that day in Jeremiah's time God's people, remember this is God's people that we're addressing here and talking about. Jeremiah 7, 28, I think is a good summary. The Lord says, so you, Jeremiah, I want you to say to them that this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Friends, that's only a glimpse of the first seven chapters. What happens to a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord or God? What are the implications of a nation who refuses to hear his voice? What are the consequences for a nation who forsakes the truth? Is not this kind of nation a likely candidate? God's judgment. God's just judgment. What then as you consider these days ahead of us, the 2016 election, taking place on Tuesday, November 8th, what ought to then be our response? As a nation, what would the Lord have us do to once again walk worthy of the calling that we've received. We've been known in the past as a Christian nation. And I think many of us here would agree that we are far from Christian today. The drift has happened. We continue to move farther away from the God of heaven and the truth of his word. And as a result, drift What is a nation to do that finds herself so far away from God? Perhaps the question leads us to rethink the place of prayer in our individual lives, in the lives of our households, in our local assemblies, and in the universal scope of God's family scattered throughout the land. Our 45th president will be named yet this year. And many other leaders will also come to office 
as representatives of this nation, the state of Indiana, and even in your local place of residence. And in light of such a transition, the call to pray is oftentimes submitted. But I'm afraid that we've neglected this call to pray diligently for our government officials. Our neglect at praying for them speaks at some level to the neglect of our own souls, friends. You see, the point is not that we've failed to pray regularly for government officials. The larger point, I believe, the larger point of concern is that we have failed to pray at all. I got this one, Lord. Is it any wonder then that the nation has found herself in such a place, adrift at sea, lost in many regards to the foundations that once anchored this nation as a Christian nation under God? Friends, there's great need for prayer. There's a great need for godly leaders across the country and around the world. But prayer is not something we pull out of the drawer every four years for such an occasion as this. Prayer serves as the foundation for the child of God. It's the solid ground upon which we can stand daily. It provides, really in many ways, a litmus test for whether there is relationship in place with the Lord or not. You want to know the state of a person's heart? Listen to them pray. What are they praying about? A call to prayer is less about a particular candidate and more a personal awakening to the power available in prayer and the priority of seeking God in all things. As you consider praying for the events leading up to and including November 8th, I feel led this morning to call you to prayer. It's God's desire that his people walk worthy of the calling that they've received in Christ. And I believe that a core fundamental to this walk with the Lord is a life of disciplined prayer. I have to, as a side note, say this because I I would venture if I was to interview pastors around the country, I believe many of them would say what I'm about to say. To speak about prayer is such a daunting task because there's so many ways that I feel like inadequate to speak to you about prayer. And yet, friends, what I know to be true is that we're called to prayer. We're, we're called to this. It's, it's, it's a part and parcel of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. So keeping in mind our government officials at all levels leading up to November 8, let's look at prayer, what it is, what it's not, how it's to function in the midst of civil government, and how we're to respond in prayer where the Lord has us. I'd just like to give you five things this morning as we, as we think through prayer and its relationship to the events of our governing authorities. First of all, when we speak of prayer, we're not speaking of a standalone prayer for the president only. But all who are in authority in this country, local, state, national. First Timothy chapter 2 was read this morning. I'd like to read those first couple verses again. 
Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for whom? All men. All men. For kings and all who are in authority. You know, much in the media leads one to believe that the only office worth looking at is the presidency. That's a lot of what we hear about. Significant office, for sure. But it is one of many across this country for us to be concerned in prayer about. The call from Paul to Timothy is one of first importance. And what is it? It's a call to pray for all men. And and almost as a subset of all men involves kings and all who are in authority. The scriptures call us to pray for all men with all kinds of prayers. A place is given, no doubt, to pray for kings or our modern day presidents. But it falls under the umbrella of all who are in authority over us. And that would include local officials, state officials, national officials. You know, I find it interesting that 1 Timothy 2 connects praying with being good and acceptable in the eyes of God who says there in that same passage, desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Many government leaders today are operating, did you know this? Did you know this? That they're operating without any saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That being said, our prayers become especially urgent. Amen? Becomes really important. The president is not the only one needing our prayers. The members of Congress need our prayers. The members of the House of Representatives, Senate, they all all need our prayers. The state leaders need our prayers. We have a good number of lost souls leading our nation, it seems. Prayers to God that align with his will, asking for the salvation of those in leadership. What, think about this, what might happen if people diligently prayed to this end? How then might our civil government operate differently if salvation, according to the truth of the scriptures, was evident in the lives of our leaders? You think it'd make a difference? Pray for the president, yes. But pray for all who are in authority over us. That's the first point. Secondly, when we speak of prayer, we're not focusing on a particular candidate, party affiliation, or platform that you especially resonate with. Here's what we're focusing on. We're focusing upon God and seeking His hand to orchestrate each government appointment. The passage was read from Romans 13. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist, this is really important right here, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God's hand is upon each one who takes a leadership role in government. The authorities that exist are from God and they are sovereignly orchestrated by God. Why is that so important to know? 
because it helps us understand that the God to whom we pray is the God who makes all the appointments. The God to whom we pray is the God who makes all the appointments. And you might be thinking, well, the people vote and they select their own officials. Yes, it's true we have that privilege in these United States of America. But God is working to appoint a person of his own choosing. And there's a level of comfort in knowing that he's the one appointing all authorities. He raises up. He tears down. See, this God to whom we pray is in the business of appointing leaders to office. And so much of our energies have been on the candidates and the party affiliation or the platforms that they're proclaiming. So little energy has gone into praying to God, recognizing that he is the one who appoints all the authorities that exist. He's the one. So pray to God with an awareness that the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Number three, when we speak of prayer, we're not approaching this from the standpoint of electing a quote-unquote savior who's going to rescue us from a flawed health care plan, a broken education system, or a debt-ridden economy. When we pray for a leader, we ought to be praying for one who will exhibit instead high character, and godliness, aligning himself under the king of kings, fearful not of man, but of God. Why? Because he's the one who appointed him into office. And for this, I was reminded of the words in, in, in Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy is written in a time before kings actually came, came to be. But in Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'll just read a few of the verses, 18 through 20. He's giving, the Lord is giving some understanding of what these kings are going to do and how they're to operate. He says, also it shall be, starting in verse 18 of chapter 17, Deuteronomy. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life. How how many times is he going to read it? How often? All the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. Lording it over, right? Elsewhere. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. As we pray, friends, consider the ramifications of presidents, state governors, local town clerks having a copy of the word with them and reading it all their days. Our prayers can linger long on seeking out just the right candidate. The one who's going to save America. (laughs) But I believe the word would have us pray for authorities that exhibit high character 
and godliness. I believe, friends, it's not off base to pray that government officials actually take up God's word and have it with them and actually read it daily as they're making decisions that affect all of us. Do we pray this way for them? Pray not for an earthly savior to remedy all our current woes. But pray instead for leaders to be in place who have high character and integrity. Leaders who are godly. A a godly leader on the surface is one who thinks much of God. The contrast is one who is ungodly who thinks very little, if any, of God. Think about the ramifications of those two leaders. Leaders that are leading either at a local, a state, or national level. They're leading people. And we need to be praying that they're leading in such a way that they think much of God. They think much of His Word. This is the truth upon which we stand. Number four. When we speak of prayer... It's important to understand that we're called to pray for all authorities. Listen, here's the catch. Even the ones we don't vote for. Now this one might be really hard for us. I didn't vote for him. Having a heart of prayer and a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus, that means we're not, listen, we're not going to mope. We're not going to hang our heads following November 8th if our candidate does not win the elections. High character and godliness that I just spoke of, as we're praying that for those those candidates, those authorities in place, that high character and godliness, listen, it's required of all God's people. Not only those in positions of authority. Therefore, as children of God, the mandate to pray for the governing authorities is in place, listen, regardless of whether our candidate wins or not. Our responsibility for the authorities that exist, which are given to us by God, our responsibility is to pray for them. As bad as certain candidates might seem to you. Prayer has a way of taking those cares and concerns out of your hands. And placing them into the hands of the God who can change people, change events, change the trajectory of where things are headed. The proverb writer says it this way in Proverbs 21 verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of of the Lord like the rivers of water he turns it wherever he wishes our responsibility is to pray earnestly for the authorities God has appointed whether they are godly or ungodly we find our comfort in praying to God knowing that the king's heart, the king's, the, the authority, whoever that authority in our day might be, the authority's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Listen, this is important for us to understand and recognize. Anything in the hand of the Lord is open for transformation. Transformation. 
God specializes, from what I see in the scripture, in transformation. Five loaves and two fish became a buffet for many, didn't it? Huh? A million man, Ethiopian army, advancing, pursuing. Asa prays. And what happens? God transforms the battlefield. Another king, Jehoshaphat, comes to mind. He sees the enemy pressing in, and the odds are against him. And yet when he prays, when he prays, God transforms his situation and shows him how his mighty power can affect change. Moving into the New Testament, to the person of Jesus Christ, we see that the cross was an instrument of death, but God transformed the situation three days later when by his mighty power he raised up his son Jesus from the grave. You see, God not only appoints the authorities that exist, but he specializes in transformation. Remember, as you pray, that the heart of that leader is literally in the hand of the Lord. And in his hand, God has the power to turn that heart wherever he wishes. Wherever he wishes. Friends, are we praying regularly to that end? That God would take the hearts of those in authority and turn them for his own purposes? Are we praying for his will to be done through his appointed leaders? Are we quick to throw in the towel after the election and go, well, another four years down the tube? Woe is me. Woe is our country. Friends, I believe he would call us to pray. We understand who's making the appointments. We understand that the heart of the authority is in the hands of the Lord. If you believe that to be true, we're going to pray with all diligence that the Lord would turn their heart. Pray for the authorities, regardless of whether your candidate wins. It's our duty and responsibility before God to pray regularly for them. And we pray knowing that God has all power to transform hearts. You know what that does? You know what that produces? It produces hope. The one who transformed, listen, the one who transformed your heart has the power to do the very same thing in the lives of the appointed authorities. Did you know the Lord transformed your heart? If you're here this morning and you're in Christ Jesus, the Lord transformed you. You were dead. He awakened you. The same God who did that for you has the power and the ability to do that for the authorities. I believe that because I believe that's what the word teaches God's in the business of appointments. God is in the business of transformation. What's needed are people who pray in faith, believing it to be true. Remember that the Lord desires all men to be saved. And your prayers play a part in that process, church. Number five, when we speak of prayer, we're not primarily concerned with selecting the right candidate. 
But instead, taking a step back to assess where our own heart is before the Lord as we enter into prayer. This is really an address to our own hearts. As we consider praying, which we're called to, this last point is really addressing our own heart before the Lord. Even before we pray for a godly president, a godly state and local leader, we need to be concerned about the hearts of men across this country. Do lost souls matter to us anymore? Praying with a spirit of humility before God, coming into his presence with a broken and contrite heart, walking worthy of the Lord is living in daily dependence upon his grace. A heart of prayer is cultivated through a heart of repentance, turning from sin, turning to God in faith, living by faith, bearing fruit in accordance with a repentant heart and a renewed mind. Where did you get that? I didn't make it up. Acts 26. Acts 26. You might recall Acts 26. Paul is before King Agrippa. And he's given his testimony. Sharing his story of his conversion. And how the Lord has gotten him to this point. Pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, this is right after he has shared what the Lord has spoken to him. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. What did he declare? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. There it is right there. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul stood trial before a king that opposed, or at least was apathetic, it seems, to the cause of Christ. And yet, in spite of death threats and in spite of an actual stoning, Paul keeps pressing onward and upward in the way of Christ, obeying the heavenly vision given to him. In verse 22, it says, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. Listen, prayer is obtaining help from God so that we might stand. Obtaining help from God. Prayer is the acknowledgement that we're seeking God's power to be brought to bear from the heavenlies down here to earth. I put forth a question this morning. How many here would agree that our country could use a little bit of help from Almighty God? Huh? We need His help. When Paul obtained help from God... How did that help manifest itself? Did God simply just rain down help from on high on his own initiative? You see, because he's God, he can choose to do that if he wants to. But I tend to think that Paul obtained such help from God because he was a man whose life was grounded and rooted in prayer. He relied upon the Lord and he regularly sought the Lord for help. There's a principle here. 
Again, the principle is rooted in the scripture. It's found in James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and what's the promise? He'll draw near to you. Notice that Paul didn't change course because of persecutions and trials, but he trusted in the Lord, and he prayed fervently for his faithful God. See, he has seen God show up in his life time and time and time and time again. He prayed fervently for his faithful God to help him in his time of need. And since Paul understood by grace who this Jesus was, it served as a catalyst to keep coming to him in prayer. We haven't gotten to it yet, but it's coming in Hebrews 4.16 says these words, let us therefore, in light of who this Messiah is, in light of what he's done, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The call to prayer is not primarily for the purpose of selecting the right candidate, but it's a call to get right with the Lord. It's a call to understand the power of prayer and the need to have one's own heart right before God. I'm more interested today to communicate the need for prayer rather than praying specifically for any one candidate. I'm more concerned that you understand your need to build on a prayer foundation than simply calling you all to pray for the November 8th elections. I'm more burdened about the state of your heart than I am the state of affairs in the government. I'm more grieved about my own sin and the sins of those gathered here and the sins of those in our country, the magnitude of sin and carelessness of handling sin before a holy God. I'm much more deeply moved to speak to that today. If you fast forward to November 8th, And you picture that right candidate. The right candidate in your mind might be the candidate that you choose, the candidate that you're voting for. You picture that right candidate in office. It's true, perhaps some policies might change, some laws might get altered, things might seem like they're functioning at a higher level with greater purpose. But if you still have no prayer foundation in your life, what difference has it really made? How does a good candidate help your prayer life thrive in the days to come? Has God called his people to seek first a candidate or to seek him? The context of our seeking him happens through prayer, friends. How is it that we can get so ramped up for the right candidate and yet pay so little attention to the one who appoints him into service? We spend millions of dollars to parade a candidate in front of the crowds and cameras. And yet very little, if any energy, is given toward the one who appoints his ministers in place. Three times in Romans 13, in those seven verses, three times... These authorities are deemed God's ministers. God's ministers. God's servants. If we truly saw the governing authorities as God's ministers, how might that change our attitude toward these people? How might our prayers be changed as we offered up prayer to one of God's ministers? We live among a people of unclean lips. Just like the prophet Isaiah 
where sin has run for so long unrestrained. Instead of pleading for a right candidate, perhaps it would be a good idea to ask God to forgive us, to heal our land. Perhaps it would be good to confess our sins, to humbly go before the God of heaven and acknowledge how far we've gone from Him. God's not gone anywhere. We've gone from Him. We're the ones who drifted. To express then a heart's desire for Him to lead things. To cry out for His discernment and His wisdom. To incline our hearts. These are all echoes of Proverbs too, friends. To incline our hearts toward Him so that we can proceed to act and go forth in His power and with His approval. To seek Him first in prayer, recognizing that He's Lord over all. And may it not be that we are only interested in receiving input from God about those who take office. I pray that we would want and desire His mighty hand to guide the entire process leading up to, including November 8 elections, including the four years that follow. I hope we discover in these months ahead our own sinful tendencies to operate apart from God and choose to repent, to acknowledge before God our sins, and then turn to God in faith, endeavoring to walk worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ Jesus. Those last two short sentences in Peter chapter 2, verse 17, I think are timely for us here. Fear God, honor the king. Psalm 2, those last three verses. Now therefore be wise, O kings, O authorities. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust, not in a candidate, but in him. Place your trust in Him, friends. See that your trust is in the Lord. After Solomon dedicated the temple of the Lord, the Lord Himself appears to Solomon. And He says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning with verse 12, I've heard your prayer. I have to stop right there when I read that. There's something about that that I especially enjoy. Think about it. God speaking to Solomon, and one of the first things out of his mouth, I have heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer, he says, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's part of it, friends. Turning from your wicked ways. Look what's on the other side. Then I will hear from heaven. What else is he going to do? I will forgive their sin. What else is he going to do? going to heal their land 
Now, he says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Do you remember that story in Joshua when the people couldn't defeat lowly AI? Do you remember why? You probably remember the name of the man, Achan. But as we think about why they weren't able to take and conquer AI, it had everything to do, friends, with sin in the camp. Sin. Not dealing with it. And the call here is the Lord is speaking to Solomon. I don't believe for a moment that it was just for Solomon, these words. (laughs) Humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, turning from our wicked ways. The Lord says then, I will hear. How many of us, when we pray, long for the Lord to hear us? I do. He's given to us in his word what he's calling us to. We're at a time in the life of this country. I was adding it up. We're some nine generations, if my math was about correct. Some nine generations removed from the founding fathers of this country. Perhaps more than ever, our country and her respective government authorities are in need of urgent prayer. It's time to humble ourselves and to pray fervently, to seek the face of God. By the way, just a side note, access is now made available by grace through what Christ did at the cross. We have full-time access to come into his presence, to come boldly before the throne of grace, to help us in our time of need. It's time to turn from our sin. The promise is that he will then hear, he will then forgive, he will then heal. Friends, let's walk worthy of the calling that's set before us as a child of the king. And let's build our lives upon the rock of Jesus Christ and seek him in these days ahead. It's my desire that he hears our prayers, that he forgives our sins, that he heals our land. He's instructed us to pray and to seek him and to walk in humility. And the question is, are we going to respond to what he's called us to do? Are we going to respond based upon what he's given to us in his word to do? For the Lord's sake and for his glory and honor, I pray that we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a word this morning in regard to prayer. A word in regard to prayer that connects the events of our day, an upcoming election. We're not only a president, but many other government officials at the national and state and local levels, are going to be put in office. Father, I pray that you would move us as your people to urgently, diligently, fervently pray that we would seek you in these days ahead. And as we pray to you about these events in our country, Lord, that we would pray with an understanding of who you are, that you're the God who makes all the appointments. You're the God who puts them all in place. 
You're the God who said in your word that they are your ministers. They're your servants. So, Father, I pray that we would pray to you with that understanding. That our hearts would not be hard toward candidates. For, Lord, the battle is not against flesh and blood. Help us to understand and see the need to pray for these authorities. Fathers, we pray for high character and godliness in our leaders across the country. We also recognize that there are many who don't know you, many who are far from you. But Lord, you've given to us and commissioned us to pray. Because Lord, we know that part of your heart in this, as we pray to you, your heart, as we see in the word, is that all men would be saved. So Lord, help us not to forget that as we're praying for our authorities, some of which, many of whom do not know you. And we pray, Lord, with an understanding that you're the God in whose hand all authorities are placed. That you are the God that can turn the hearts of these authorities wherever you wish. So then, Lord, I pray we would cast up our prayers to you with great hope, knowing that you are the one in control of all things. I thank you, Lord, for this word of truth. And I pray, Lord, that as your people, we would diligently humble ourselves. We would seek your face. We would turn from our wicked ways. We would live that word from Acts 26 that Paul that was, that's how he operated and lived. Called people to repent. He called people to turn to God in faith. And he called people to live a life that was befitting works of repentance. Father, I pray that would be true of us. May you get glory and honor, Lord, as we submit ourselves to you, the King of kings. And may we in these days ahead pray for all of those who are in positions of authority. May we fear you and may we honor our earthly authorities. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.